You're listening to I Can't Wait to Tell You with Casey Edward featuring Jesse Israel, episode 69. Welcome to I Can't Wait to Tell You, a podcast I created to share with you my knowledge, stories, and experiences on spirituality, food, health, mindset, and on life in general. My goal is to tell you everything I wish I had known when I decided to take control of my reality and start living the life of my dreams. We all deserve to make some magic, so let's jump right in because there are so many things I can't wait to tell you. Hello, hello, my wonderful friends. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the show. I am Casey, and today I am very excited because I have an interview for you with Jesse Israel, who is the founder and creator of The Big Quiet, which is a mass meditation movement. I have been to one of the events before, and they are magical to say the least, and we get into all of this in the show. And I can't wait for you guys to hear this episode. I'm so grateful for Jesse coming on because we talk about so much that I needed to hear. So I think that it will resonate with all of you as well because I know a lot of you are also on an entrepreneurial path or making a transition in your life or starting to do a meditation practice and find your spirituality. And some of the things we get into in this episode are what prompted Jesse to start a meditation practice? Jesse's transition from the music industry to the meditation space and stepping into the role of teacher, why embracing the darkness is just as important as embracing the light, how the big quiet got started and what it is, and a day in the life with Jesse and his daily practices. We get into so much more, but those were some of my favorite things that we talked about, and I cannot wait for you guys to hear this episode. So without further ado, let's get to it. All right, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of I Can't Wait to Tell You. I am Casey Edward, and I'm very excited because today I'm here with Jesse Israel, who is a speaker, a teacher, and the founder of The Big Quiet. For those of you listening who have not yet heard of The Big Quiet, it is a mass meditation movement that tours the most legendary places in the country and brings thousands of people together. And I am lucky enough to have experienced one of these mass meditations at Fenway when I lived in Boston. And I went with Richie, who's been on the show. And it was honestly one of the most magical nights ever. I've been meditating for years, but to be surrounded by people at the same energy and there was a light rain and there was just, it was the most magical night ever. And I'm so excited to have Jesse on because he was the coordinator of all of it. So Jesse, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Casey. It's so good to be here. And it's awesome to hear your reflections from that event. Yeah. So just diving right into things, I talk a lot about on the show how for me personally, I got into meditation because my anxiety had gotten to a point where I could barely function throughout the day. So I had a job I loved and a significant other and I was healthy and I exercised, but yet I was still so confused. Why am I experiencing this this anxiety that just I could barely get out of bed in the morning? And so I turned to meditation. So that being said, what got you into meditation and what was your practice like when you first started out? Well, I was a, let's see, 
what led me into meditation was the company that I was running when I was a student at NYU. It was something that I started when I was 20 years old, as a sophomore. My college roommate and I started managing the band MGMT. We formed a dorm room record label to put out their first album. And we had this great ride. We had no idea what the hell we were doing, <laughs> but we just kind of figured it out by doing it and by, by trying and messing up and having wins and losses. And by the time we had graduated from NYU, MGMT had really taken off. We were signing more bands. We had done a joint venture with a major label. We were throwing a lot of concerts. It was a lot of work. It was a lot of late nights, a lot of partying. Also, there were the stresses of the business and just kind of figuring out who I was as a young man. And it was a lot for me. And, and I was on a bit of a burnout track. And I started to experience um, panic attacks and pretty debilitating anxiety. And I was a young guy. And a lot of perceived success on the on the outside inside i was having a very different experience and it, it was confusing for me and it wasn't something that i really felt like i could talk about with people mm -hmm. um at the time i felt like, like there was it seemed like there were less spaces to communicate about mental health especially with my peers my family with my friends so i really i really kind of looked internally for ways to work through some of these challenges and i was just googling you know forms of stress reduction um mm -hmm ways to, to support anxiety attacks. Meditation came up through Google. And I, I, initially I learned at Shambhala, I did a, a free, one of their free intro sessions and really found it to be valuable. And about eight, after eight months of practicing regularly, I learned Vedic meditation mm -hmm. uh, with a teacher named Light Watkins, who's a great teacher. Um, wow, you and, got to practice with Light Watkins? Yeah. <laughs> That's, oh my God, I'm so jealous. Amazing. <laughs> wow. Cool. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So light, light initially taught me and I love, I just like fell in love with the Vedic practice and a lot mm. of the principles there and just really connected with the Vedic worldview. And that's what I've been practicing ever since today. I actually, I teach a technique that's really similar to Vedic meditation called one giant mind. Um, so that practice is, is really near and dear to me. Amazing. So for anyone listening who is not familiar with Vedic meditation, could you give us a little summary of what that means, what that style is like? Yeah. The, the, the Vedic meditation style comes from the, the Hindu lineage. It's four or 5,000 years old from India. Um, some of like the notable differences to what people may think of as more traditional meditation or compared to something like a Vipassana meditation mm -hmm. is that with Vedic meditation, um, an individual sits comfortably with back support, um, closes their eyes, and instead of um, maybe some practices where there is um, effort or focus placed on um, not thinking, uh, with the Vedic practice, uh, an individual is given a mantra, which is uh, a word that doesn't have a direct meaning to the individual. And when it's thought gently and effortlessly inside the person's mind, it allows the mind and the body to relax and settle. Mm -hmm. um, so Vedic meditation, it's similar to TM. It's similar to One Giant Mind, like I mentioned. Um, it's, a great, it's a great practice. I'm a big supporter of all different styles of meditation. This is the one that clicked the most for me. Yeah, and I love that. I actually just recently started practicing with the mantra because I was doing following your breath or I would do guided meditations, more of mindfulness meditations, I would say. And when mm -hmm. I started to do one with a mantra that was close to me and close to my heart, it was such a nice thing to just have that that 
little toy for the mind. So that way you really do stay focused. And for me, that was great because I'm not grounded by nature. So I was like, okay, this yeah. is, this is definitely helpful. So you started to practice. I, yeah. Sir, go ahead. I was just going to say that I've seen that for people that, that may find it more challenging to practice um, a, a Buddhist style of meditation or, or what we may think of as, as a more traditional style of meditation that using or having a practice where our mantra is used can be really helpful. Mm. I know for me, it's part of what really clicked about it for me was it, it just felt, it felt more natural to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, same page. Definitely love that. So you started your meditation practice and did you feel results immediately? Did your anxiety start to diminish right after you started? Did it take a little while? What was that like when you first started? Yeah, it was pretty powerful pretty quickly for me. I found that in a relatively short period of time, the way that I was reacting to things that once stressed me out were feeling less stressful. I definitely was finding that I could be more responsive in the face of things that were once stressing me out. And I did find, I did, I did notice that where I felt like this block of stress and anxiety just sort of like gunk trapped inside of me started to strip out of my body as I practice regularly and having a daily practice really helped with this. Um, and once it started to strip out of the body, I started to feel more clarity, right? So I guess with, with mm-hmm. less of that's that stress or anxiety inside of me, I felt like I was able to build a stronger connection between my gut, my heart, my head. And it was powerful because it, at first it was about stress relief and it was about strengthening and, and working through mental health challenges. And, and as I made progress through those things, other stuff started to happen that I wasn't really expecting, like mm-hmm. with less stress in the body, with my nervous system becoming stronger, I started to be able to feel more clear, clear about what I stood for, what I cared about, how I really wanted to be giving myself to work, to relationships, how I could start to make a contribution to the world around me in a way that felt fulfilling. And what that meant was that some of the things, some, some of the things I was doing, some of the relationships in my life were starting to feel unaligned, mm-hmm. which meant making some changes. And that was really scary. And I think this can be one of the interesting challenges with having a regular practices as we start to peel back layers into our, you know, deeper self or truer self, we start to realize that there may be things in our lives that don't feel in alignment. Mm -hmm. For me, I was able to ignore that for a little while, but it reached a point where it was just so clear to me. And for me, that was really showing up in my career. I I really love spending nine years running this record label, signing bands, throwing concerts. We had a tech fund where we invest in startups. It was an incredible journey. Um, But I just reached this point where I think I had sort of maxed out on my growth there. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was just sort of coasting in a space that um, wasn't feeling exciting for me anymore. And I looked at different ways to sort of shift and play around with how I could make changes within my company. Because I really believe that for many of us, the solution is not, you know, going all in and quitting your job. But a lot of times there are tweaks we can make. Uh, but I, I explored some of that and what felt really clear to me, unignorably clear was what it was time for me to move on. And that was jarring because it was, the only thing that I had known from work perspective was something I was doing since I was a college student. It was, well, I was 29 years old, and in many ways, it did. I, it, I allowed it to define me. So 
having a practice that allowed things like that to shift and grow was exciting and sometimes really challenging. Yeah, that is also so good. And really, that's very similar to my journey because I used to struggle standing up for myself or standing up for what I believed in, and especially with decisions. So when these big changes came for me, when I started to meditate, it obviously clears so much mental space and the universe is like, finally, here you go. <laughs> here's right. this message. Here's this sign. And it allowed me to really stand firm in my decisions instead of doing the ping pong that my mind used to drive me crazy with. Like, should I do this? Should I not? Now, all of this being said, the tides start to turn for you and you feel that your, your time is ready to move past this career. Is this when the big quiet started to come into play or what was the next step from there? Well, I wound up moving on from my label and this was a process. This took a little bit of time, uh, but eventually I took that leap and I was in this interesting position where I, since I, since I was 20, a sophomore at NYU, I'd, I'd, I'd been working and I'd only known my adult life, either being in college or running a company or doing both. So here I was, I was about to turn 30 and I was in New York City and I left my company and it was, I didn't have anything going on. And it was really exciting and elating at first when I traveled and I did that whole thing and you know, sort of burning through some of my savings. Um, and then I sort of got hit with this reality, uh, which was that I wasn't being active and wasn't clear what was next, which was ultimately fine for this period in my life. Uh, but for me, it was really tough. And I went to some, some pretty challenging places, a lot of comparison, especially to my peers, who, as we were nearing our 30s, were really kicking ass with their, with their work. A lot of entrepreneurial friends, a lot of very successful friends. And I was like, and here I am, fully restarting. It felt like a restart. Um, and that was pretty tough for me. And I, I found this period of transition to be really challenging. And I did this to myself. I made the decision to leave the company. Um, and it was, a interest, it was an interesting period and it was very emotional. And one of the things that I looked at was how I could start to experiment with some of the things that I felt energized by mm -hmm. and by some of the things that allowed me to put some of my gifts to use. And the way that I, I sort of landed at this was I was doing this exercise where I was asking people that I really respected who I felt knew me well, what they thought, what they thought my gifts were. And this is actually a really cool exercise for anyone listening to try. If people are looking to maybe click into their purpose more um, or get clear about ways that they can show up in the world and have a greater impact to go to. And this is what I was doing. I was going to, to, to my peers and family members and asking them what they thought my gifts were and just listening. And it was a really tough experience to hear people share this. So it's actually a really cool question to ask people. And also it's a really cool thing to answer to people that we care about. And just to be able to have people be these mirrors for me was really great. And what I was hearing was that I had um, a unique ability to gather people, that I had a, a unique form of leadership that was really rooted in um, expressing truth, communicating honestly, and and holding up a mirror for other people to see themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, I, I remember hearing those things at the time being like, yeah, this all sounds cool, but like, how am I going to build my like $500 million startup? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, concepts. Yeah. Because um, that's really where my head was at at that time. Mm -hmm. I sort of felt like I was supposed to be an entrepreneur as sort of the world that I grew up in. Uh, and I was supposed to be a CEO and this, you know, guy building this big business, raising lots of money, things I'd done in the past. 
Um, so people would share these gifts with me, and it was, it was hard for me to digest and to just hold and, and listen. Um, and eventually I decided that I would start to put some of these gifts to practice through experimentation. And the first experiment that I felt called to was to gather other people that I knew through my time in the music industry and the tech space, the places I was going out in New York City, to gather these people and to meditate together if people were interested in meditating. And what I was seeing was that more and more people were becoming interested in meditation. I had learned several years before, and it was at this point, at this point it was around end of 2014, early 2015, there was more research coming out about it. It was starting to have a little bit more of a buzz to it and people were becoming interested. But I saw that the places where people were able to practice meditation uh, in community were usually lineage specific. You could go practice with other Vedic, mm-hmm. other people at Shambhala or you know, Pasna. So I wanted to have a space where we could all come together and share you know, roughly 20 minutes of quiet and talk about our practices and also talk about the real things that were going on in our lives. And that was the concept for the first MediClub. We did it a, maybe like 10 months after I'd left my company is when, the, when we actually did the first one. So you know, it took some time. That's amazing. So when this idea started to come together, something that I actually really wanted to ask you myself was as an entrepreneur starting this thing, especially because you started it when, right when the research was coming out and it was still fairly new, did you experience imposter syndrome? Because I know when I started my own journey and I became an entrepreneur, I would, anytime I would get up in front of someone or if I was talking to someone or even Instagram posts, I would be like, who am I to be telling people what to do or to be gathering these people? So did you experience imposter syndrome? And if so, what were some techniques you did to just allow and still continue on your path with the big quiet? Yeah, I definitely did. You know, what, what I mentioned earlier that this first gathering that we had was called MediClub mm-hmm. and the big quiet wound up becoming born out of MediClub. MediClub was just, you know, a small group of friends meeting up at our buddy's loft where we would meditate together and talk about real stuff. And each month it would, it would grow. And after six or so months of it, we formed the big quiet as a way to really do it at scale with thousands of people. But MediClub was really great because in, in several ways, but for me, MediClub was the place where I was able to be really honest with the community about what I was going through as I was stepping more into my leadership. And I was able to communicate with the group very publicly um, while this thing was growing and getting press and becoming exciting that there were real challenges for me. And I became really, really interested in this concept of, um, you know, you can see me on stage at a big quiet event with, you know, Britney Spears mic on in front of thousands of people. And you may not know it, but, and this, this is a real experience that I had. There, there was a big quiet, there were actually two big quiets where I was up on stage in front of large groups of people, sort of people looking to me as like a, a real figure in the meditation space, mm-hmm. even in the meditation space, while I was going off of SSRI antidepressant medications mm-hmm. and having a really, really tough time with my withdrawal. Uh, as a side note, I wasn't smart about how I uh, went off those medic, uh, the medication, um, and went through a really, really challenging period where I was experiencing like a, upper, uh, like a, a hyper, a hypersensitive version of what I experienced before I was even meditating. Intense mm. forms of panic, high 
stress, just irrational discomfort in my body and in my mind. And going through that experience while also going into leading a mass meditation was something that was a lot for me to make sense of. What was really cool was that when I'd get up in front of the group and start guiding the experience, everything would shift in my body and I would sort of connect with the room and the people. And I was reminded in that moment that everything was okay. But it was really confronting for me to be moving into a role of leadership in the meditation space or wellness space and be experiencing really tough stuff from a mental health standpoint. And there was this old story I used to have, which I no longer have, but there was this old story of um, I'm moving into the role of leader and into the role of teacher, and I shouldn't be experiencing anxiety and stress or panic or, you know, I should really have my shit together. I'm, mm. I'm you know, a voice for these practices, for community and for meditation. I should be a light and experiencing those things. And even just the fact that I had been on an, an antidepressant medication or that I was coming off one, I felt shame around that at that time. Mm. And there was a lot of that imposter syndrome feeling that was coming up for me. And it really wasn't until I started actually teaching. Initially, I was gathering the groups and I would lead the mass meditations. But eventually, um, I became trained to teach uh, the One Giant Mind Technique and um, started working with smaller groups. I teach 10 to 30 people at a time in these more intimate groups where we do um, a three-session training to give people the complete tool set to have a self-sufficient mm -hmm. practice for life. And it was once I started teaching um, and getting intimate with people in regards to sharing knowledge that I started to work through the imposter syndrome stuff and realized that my real lived experiences, you know, as a, not, not just as a teacher, but as a human, the stuff that I was going through that made me human. Some of the most valuable experiences that I've had to be able to understand what my students go through, to make me relatable, to allow me to really share my own lived experience of how I've worked through stuff and how those experiences with mental health have actually been really important for me to be the man that I am today and to be able to articulate that and help other people see that. So I, I now, when I look back on those experiences, or if I still have, which I do sometimes have experiences where I'll have sort of mental health flare-ups, I remind myself of how important they are and that it's not for me. It's not about being an imposter. It's about being a human and that the more lived experiences that I can have, full spectrum experiences in life that I can have, um, the more experienced I become to be able to help other people and teach people. And one of my teachers, John Pollard, says, experience first, knowledge second. And I think that's so true. That the lived experience that we have is ultimately going to be more important than the books we read or the things we learn, although they're all very important. So I remind myself of those things when I have those moments. Wow, I'm not gonna lie, I teared up during that during that, <laughs> during that explanation what because made you, <laughs> well, it's because you know I've been going through similar to what you were just talking about the same experience with this this anxiety that I can feel in my body and I can feel that my nervous system isn't quite where I would like it to be, and I get so hard on myself and I do the same thing where okay, I, if I'm telling people or teaching people or doing these courses or teaching yoga or spin or whatever I'm doing, I should be this and I should myself into the shame surrounding yeah. having anxiety. And 
And that's not, you know, that's not necessary because we're humans. Like there's no standard that says you must be perfect to be a teacher. It's actually quite the opposite. Like you said, I love experience before knowledge because you know, it's kind of like if you were getting up in front of people and you knew all of the science surrounding meditation, but you had never done it, it would not even remotely be the right. same. So I love that because it's so true. And I know a lot of listeners have reached out to me and shared that they too experience anxiety. And um, yeah. I love, well, first of all, thanks for reflecting that back. Mm-hmm. I love hearing that. And I think, you know, with, within the realm of, in, in the space of wellness and health, um, fitness in these industries that are booming that are really supporting people in regards to allowing us to feel better, mm-hmm. to feel our best. Um, it can be so easy to get caught up in the imagery, in the media, and in the, I guess, high level concepts that to, to, to be thriving in this world, to be experiencing it and teaching it and being a part of it in community and posting about it on social media. Mm-hmm that we're supposed to be 100. And, um, and I just think it's a giant misconception that oftentimes I think the wellness industry um, continues to layer on and layer on and layer on because there's, in my opinion, not enough space to communicate that the process of bettering ourselves and taking care of ourselves and growing involves embracing and experiencing the darkness. And it's, gonna come hand in hand with the lightness it's a these are just kind of basic principles of nature just as we see it gets dark at night it becomes light in the morning throughout the day like they go hand in hand and i think the opportunity in the wellness space is for us to start to embrace the darkness and see it as an important part of our process of growth because right now i see the wellness space is all light and that's, that's exciting, mm-hmm. but I think it gets even more exciting than human when we can em- embrace the darkness too and have the conversations around that and understand that we all experience this stuff, um, especially, <laughs> I believe, especially for those of us that choose to step into the role of teacher mm-hmm. or instructor, mm-hmm. I think it's extra confronting for us because we're, we're, we're putting ourselves in a position where we really, we really start to look at ourselves because people start to look at us for support. Mm-hmm. And it, it's like, it puts a magnifying glass on our own shit. And I think that's a really great and beautiful experiencing process to have something to talk about, something to celebrate like we're doing mm-hmm. on the show. Yeah, it's so true. And on top of that, I feel like when I can talk about what I'm going through, it makes it so much lighter. Like when I can, when I can say out in the open, you know, okay, I'm, I'm really anxious today. And then I take a step back or I talk about it with my girlfriend or I even say it at spin class. Like, you know, I was really anxious today, but here we all are. And then it's kind of like, why? Right? Like it's, it's all good. And when you can bring it, that darkness into the light, like you said, it just makes it less serious and heavy and it allows others to be like, oh my gosh, you're going through this too. And that yeah. in itself builds that community. So before we get specifically into the big quiet, one thing that I did want to ask was when you were going through this process of kind of simultaneously healing while also starting this mass meditation, how did you find, for lack of a better word, balance between doing and being? So the being being healing, but also doing enough that this built momentum and that everything got going. Such a tough process for me. I- I was, 
identifying so deeply with, with what I'd refer to as the waves of doing. Mm. Waves meaning this venue just reached out to us about doing the big quiet. Um, this great press story happened. Um, I'm going into this company to talk about this thing. I was really identifying with my, these big waves, these exciting moments that would come up. And then what would happen, just like in nature and just like in the ocean, uh, the set would chill out and then there'd be an, a moment of, or a period of calmness where the water would trough and there'd be no waves and I would fully freak out. Mm-hmm. And then the waves would come back and I'd feel good again. And I was finding that I was really falling into this, this period of this process of feeling good when the doing was exciting. Mm-hmm. But when it came time to just be that when there was no motion in the ocean, <laughs> I would really freak <laughs> out. Mm-hmm. And it took time. I believe it's really important to experience this, this, this experience that I've described as identifying with success and then freaking mm-hmm. out when it's not there. The sort of back and forth and sort of learning that lesson that through the experience of having that and having that repeated, I was able to, and I'm still in the process of this, remember and understand that um, I am not the wave. I'm the entire ocean. And there's a real, there's a real beauty in these periods where we feel like things are slowing down or not happening or we're falling behind and the waves aren't coming. It's actually a great opportunity to sit back and appreciate the sounds of the ocean and to, you know, n- notice the horizon line to see where we're going, right? There's so much beauty to be found in the periods without waves. And then, of course, the waves are great because they're fun to surf. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it's, yeah. taken me, it's taken me time to be able to appreciate the moments of being. And mm. for me, it's been about, uh, it, it, I think it started as a trust, a, a, a trust that I, would, that I would be good as long as I was giving myself to what I felt like were my greatest gifts and that I was used those gifts in some form of service or in some form of addressing a need of our time. Um, it began as I'm just trusting that this is the, uh, the process for me. And then eventually it, it went from a trust to a knowingness to mm-hmm. a deeper knowing, which my teachers would refer to as becoming established and being when it becomes fully present in our lives. And that's, you know, I'm still very much in my own growth around this. Um, but I think it's a, a really cool conversation and an important one because in our culture, especially through social media, social media is all about waves, mm-hmm. all about identifying with, with, with our, our big moments. And I think that it's really beautiful to be able to have life or something like Instagram be an opportunity to celebrate our waves because waves are worthy of celebration. Um, the, the challenge with that is when, when we very rarely see, see the moments where the waves chill out um, or the tough periods or the moments where we feel like we're going to drown or the periods where there are no waves to be seen. You know, because we don't really talk about those or see those much, um, we tend to hyper-identify with waves and with doing. Mm. And there's this sort of lost art form around connecting with being and what that looks like for us as individuals, regardless of our job titles, our bank accounts, the power we have, the way we look, the certain relationships that may exist in our lives. So there's a lot of work to be done around this, and Mm -hmm. it's it's becoming more challenging to connect with this stuff in this day and age, in my opinion. 
Yeah, I could not agree more. Um, it's so funny because last year, from so my birthday's in um, just over a week, and last year when it was my birthday, I made this long list of goals and aspirations and all of these things that I would hit, like numbers, and I would be, you know, a spin instructor by now and all these different things. And mm-hmm. it's so funny because the past few weeks I've been thinking about how I've been being a human doing instead of a human being. And my right. intention for this next year of my life is to be and to heal. And like you said, the waves are so fun, but in the moments of quiet, it's just as beautiful. And I had someone inbox me the other day and they said, I feel like I haven't been hearing from God or the universe. And I said, it took me a long time to realize, but if I wasn't hearing specific direction or if nothing was flowing, it was because I was right where I was meant to be. I just wasn't allowing myself to be there. And often every moment is a manifestation of something we once wanted. So I I finally, you know, zoned out and was like, wait, this is exactly what I wanted a year ago. And here I am not even basking in it, not allowing myself to be in this quiet, like you said, and look at the horizon. So anyways, that was so eloquently put. And And, yeah. yeah, go ahead. One thing just to reflect on to what you just shared, I'm always so surprised by how, ch- how challenging it is for me to see my own progress. Mm. And I think that this is something that is true for a lot of us humans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really tough to see the progress that we make. Mm-hmm. And it, I don't know if it's built into our systems or, or why or how that exists, because I hear it so often from people, but it's almost like we lack the ability to see the progress that we make. Mm-hmm. And I so regularly hear people expressing that they feel behind, mm. that they feel like what they're bringing to the life or to their life or to the world is not enough. And it's so interesting to, to repeatedly hear how often people are quietly feeling that um, versus this perspective that you just shared with us around trusting or knowing that we're just where we need to be. And that the process of growing into the people that we are is not necessarily linear. It's not going to look, anything like what we planned that's <laughs> never going to look like anything. <laughs> and that having goals can be great for sure. I, I really believe in the power of goals and mm-hmm. the power of, of working towards things. Um, but I also like to create space for the plans that we have to shift and change and evolve and grow because that's how nature works. Yep. And for me, it's about really staying rooted in intention mm-hmm. while working towards goals. I love that because someone that I recently got into this year and listened to pretty much every day was Wayne Dyer. And he said the same thing that you just said, which is having goals and intentions is totally amazing, right? It helps us keep keep us on track and feel good. But often our society is doing it from a place of striving for more because we don't feel enough. And when I stepped back and was like, am I setting an intention because it feels fun and it will change the world or is it because it will help me feel more enough? And when I shifted that way of thinking about my intentions, I realized I really was striving from a place of not enoughness rather than I'm whole, but what would feel good next or what would serve next. So like you just said, yeah. Um, I think that's really beautifully stated and there's there's a lot for me to um, soak up on that. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Wayne Dyer is like the homie. I love his work. The OG for sure. Um, So making a little bit of a transition into the big quiet itself. I know I told everyone that it's a mass meditation, but if you want to give everyone a little insight as to what it is, what going to an event is like, et cetera, that would be great. 
Yeah, so we gather thousands of people at a time for mass meditation experiences at, at, at iconic places. So we've gathered big groups at places like Madison Square Garden, mm. the top of the World Trade Center under the Blue Whale, the Museum of Natural History. Um, in a month, in October, we're going to be touring the big quiet and we're going to be creating mass meditations throughout the U.S. Mm. in 10 different cities. And at a big quiet, we gather people in these great places. There's community time. There's usually a DJ or some cool music drinks, snacks, people sit, uh, we get to know the audience a little bit. We go into a vocal toning exercise where thousands of us will use our voices together, sort of like an ohm, um, except that uh, we're, we're just humming or making sounds like oh and ah uh, with um, really lush vocal accompaniment by instrumentalists. And it's a really cool, powerful moment of creating sound together. And then after creating this peak sound, we then drop into a moment of big shared quiet Mm-hmm. And we have soundball practitioners and different instrumentalists who support the sound meditations. And then after we meditate and bring people out and have them open their eyes, we hear from excellent musicians. Right when people open their eyes, mm-hmm. great musicians perform and we'll book three or four musicians to each do a single song. It's usually stripped down, uh, unplugged or acoustic, and we have um, string violinists or different string instrumentalists to support those musicians. And, We've been really lucky. We've been able to work with some awesome musicians, all sorts of styles of music. We've also been able to work with some very established musicians. Our last big quiet, we had Miguel, the R&B legend, perform. Yes, uh, I saw that. I was like, that's so cool. (laughs) Yes. Right when people open their eyes. And, you know, someone like Miguel is a big meditator. Mm -hmm. Um, So having him perform and do it in a space and on on a canvas like this, uh, I think was exciting for him. It was definitely exciting for us and for the audience. And, um, and then we invite people to just hang out and to get to know each other a little bit. DJ comes back on and hang time. And that's the experience that we create. And, you know, it, it's a blend of, of con- contribution, right? Sharing mm-hmm. in voice, sharing in quiet, sharing and getting to know other people, mm-hmm. soaking up performance. Um, it's resetting to the nervous system it creates degress for people mm. it's emotional for people it opens hearts through music and shared performance and there's an, a sense of community for some people um and so it's a lot of elements of things that i have felt really passionate about over the past several years of building community and learning about religion and, and modern forms to connect humans and, mm. and to use human technologies that are always available to us um, oftentimes seen through the lens of religion and repurposing them maybe without religion, but with good, good intention um, attached to help, you know, really people, so people can be there for each other and, and feel each other. Yeah. And I mean, I, I already mentioned that I've been to one, but I can speak to it. It was just when you open your eyes and you kind of come back to the moment and you realize that you were meditating with all of these strangers for the most part, it's, really like this moment of peace on earth. That's, that's the phrase that just came to mind because obviously I'm making a Christmas, Christmas song connotation because I love Christmas, but it really did feel like just this moment of peace on earth. And, you know, in, in this, in this stadium, in this baseball park, in this just 
beautiful place and it was so fabulous. And like you said, it's so fun too. So it's not like all serious, like there were snacks before and after, and then you talk about it and you talk about your experience and it's just such a phenomenal thing. So anyone listening, the link will be in the show notes so that you can check out which city will be closest to you. There is one coming to Denver. So I'm very excited because (laughs) I will be going to that one. And um, before, I know we're getting on um, close to time, but before we get to the quote and start wrapping up, I did want to ask what your meditation practice and maybe a morning routine is like for you before you get going into the big quiet and into all of your business ventures for the day. Yeah. So let's see. So my, my daily meditation practice is I, I, I practice with a mantra like we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and I practice for 20 to 30 minutes every morning. Mm-hmm. And I either, pro- I either plop up in bed and just do it against my headboard or I'll, or I'll sit on my couch and do it. But I always do it first thing in the morning. The only other thing I may do before I meditate is use the bathroom, mm-hmm. brush my teeth, wash up, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I always, always meditate before I turn on my phone. I put my phone in airplane mode every night and I keep it out of my bedroom. I use an analog alarm clock if I have to use an alarm. Um, but I always keep my phone off and don't check it until after my morning meditation. It's been mm-hmm. really important for me. Um, I then, while I get ready, like to listen to podcasts. I often listen to the daily, the New York times podcast. Um, if I'm feeling like my body and nervous system can handle the news of the day. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I really value the, the reporting on that show. Yeah. Uh, because it's so, it's so, in, it's so in depth and I usually focus on one topic, but it can be pretty heavy sometimes. Mm. Um, the life, that's the world we're living in right now. So I usually listen to that or something different. And then, um, uh, if based on the weather, I like to ride my bike to my office. I live in Bushwick, Brooklyn. My office is in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. I very rarely go into Manhattan, which is such a treat. Um, and I either have breakfast at home or I'll grab something on the way. And um, I do a thing where I like to go into the office. I like to have routines. Um, I do something where I create a, a focus block from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. every day where I very, very rarely will take a phone call or a meeting during that period, almost never. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have this big chunk every day to just focus. If that's responding to emails, if that's getting creative, if that's, um, you know, listening to musicians for upcoming big quiets, whatever it may be, it's it's really, it's me time in a a work sense. Um, And I've I've been using this technique since I ran my record label, you know, in my early 20s. It's really helpful. Um, and then I usually will either take a lunch with someone or I'll have lunch by myself. And then I, I'll take meetings and phone calls or podcast interviews like we're doing right now mm-hmm. um, in the afternoon. And then I get another meditation in somewhere between 4 and 6 p.m. is when I'll get my second meditation. Mm-hmm. It's usually 20 minutes. I just do it. And I'm uh, we work out of a co-working space and I'll just sit wherever, sometimes at my desk, sometimes on a public couch. I'll meditate with you know, people talking and laughing or meeting nearby and just mm-hmm. kind of get those in. I love those. My, my team's with me. We do them together. I like to hit a, an exercise at the end of the day. Today, I'll be going to power yoga. Sometimes nice. I'll go to the Equinox and work out. And, um, and then in the evenings, um, I may have a speaking engagement. Um, I may see friends or go for a dinner. Well, my favorite night is J-Night where I am by myself and I, you know, hit a bath. 
um, get some Epsom salts going. I got this new product that I love by this company called Prima. They make these um, CBD bath bombs. I'm just mm. obsessed with these. So I like to you know, get one of those going, yes. uh, maybe do some reading. Those are my favorites on a podcast. I like having um, at least one solo night a week. It's really helpful for me. Mm. <clears throat> and then um, get some good sleep. Cool. I love that. I love that because it's so nice to hear someone who works in two meditations and they're not two five minute meditations. They're a 30 or a 20 and then a 20 and then, you know, the time for self-care, but on top of running a business and having all of these hours of work as well, because when I first started meditating or I feel like a lot of people, you know, the saying is if you have time to meditate, do it for 15 minutes. If you don't have time, do it for an hour. And I feel like that was me in the beginning. I'd be like, Oh, like, you know, I'll do it for five minutes here or there. But when something's important to you, you make it a priority and then you know, and I, I definitely am going to get on the, on the airplane mode game. I, I do it sporadically, oh, but I time. haven't yet done it. <laughs> committed. Big time. Airplane mode every night. I mean, two other ones I'll share that are game changers is um, I usually, I, I, I break this sometimes, but when I'm, when I'm being good, uh, phone just fully off at least an hour before I go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Having that blue light off, it really changes how I sleep. Right. How I dream, how I dream even. Um, yeah. so, I, so I try to get blue, uh, I try to get phone off by time. Um, and then I, this, for most of this year, I have been zero notifications on my phone. So mm-hmm. the only way that my phone vibrates or anything shows up on my lock screen is if I got a phone call. And I've turned off most of my notification badges with the exception of text. Mm. So I'm just way more in control of my phone now. It's been a game changer for me. So I really recommend that to people. Yeah, I love that. I actually did the same thing because I took the notifications off or else it's just constantly checking the phone and like being just so involved in that. And one of my morning uh, rituals, unless I'm really tired, is a long walk in nature. I meditate and then I walk in nature and I either talk on the phone with a friend. I know, I know, I know. Because again, I am not grounded by nature. So I need to walk in nature to not be like flying around and up in my head the whole time and get some kapha energy into my life. Um, But yeah, I love both of those. And before we wrap up, Jesse, do you have a favorite quote or a quote that really resonates with you at the moment that you would like to share with the listeners? Yeah. The quote that I've been enjoying lately is, uh, life is not happening to you, it's happening for you. Mm. I, I, it, it just really clicks because I just find that when I'm experiencing challenge, it's just so hard to remember that it's happening um, as an experience of growth and learning and that mm-hmm. there's just so much value, like we mentioned earlier in the challenge in the darkness. Mm-hmm. And I think that this quote for me reminds me that the things that happen in our lives can be seen as gifts if we choose to find a gift in the opportunity. Um, so that's been the quote that's really been clicking with me recently. Mm, I love that. And that's relevant for anyone. And it's so, so true. So Jesse, if anyone wants to follow along with you or the big quiet on Instagram, I will put this in the show notes as well. But what are the handles that people can follow you at? My handle is at Jesse Israel, spelled J-E-S-S-E-I-S-R-A-E-L. And for the big quiet, it's at the big quiet. And then on my website, jesseisrael.com, I got a lot of my offerings around public speaking, Mm. meditation training, stuff like that. 
Perfect. And like I said, I'll have um, the big quiet, the link to the tour dates. It's on their Instagram as well so that you guys can check it out and definitely make sure to get one. And Jesse, thank you so much for your time and your words of wisdom. I'm so grateful for you coming on the show. Thanks, Casey. I really appreciate you having me. It's been such a treat to talk about this stuff. And I hope you have a great birthday next week. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone for listening in and we will both talk to you guys soon. All right. Bye-bye. And there it is, you guys, my episode with Jesse. Jesse, thank you so much for coming on and sharing all of your wisdom. It was truly a blessing to have you on the show. I got so much out of it myself, and I know that every single person listening to this episode will as well. I told you guys already, everything you need to know about The Big Quiet and Jesse is in the show notes. We talked about it in the show. And yeah, if you're on the fence about going to one of these mass meditations, maybe you haven't started your practice before, it is a really great space and way to meditate, whether you've been meditating for years or whether it's your first time. And it's just fun and a light experience. You know, it's nothing heavy, it's nothing serious. You just go and you meditate and there's a beautiful violin and there's music and all of these different things and there's kombucha and snacks and meditation cushions that you get to take home. And it's just... A really great space for anyone and especially if you want to dip your toes into the meditation waters don't let it stop you that it might be your first meditation ever this big quiet meditation right so anyways I hope you guys are having a fabulous week it is Thursday October 3rd I cannot believe it's October already but I will be releasing some new information soon as well, some exciting things. And as always, if you would like to donate to the show and to all of my work, you can find the Patreon link in the show notes. And otherwise, I'll talk to you homies later.